to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you have an unhealthy relationship with food? Do you struggle to make sense of all the information out there about what constitutes healthy eating? Do you think you should be eating healthier than you do? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. Your body won't do what your mind doesn't tell it. That includes eating. The way you think about food and your health has a direct impact on what you put into your body. And of course, everything your body consumes has a direct impact on how you feel emotionally, cognitively, and physically. We've talked about nutrition on the show before. Back in episode 87, I talked to Dr. Drew Ramsey about how to eat to beat anxiety and depression. Well, today I'm talking to Graham Tomlinson. He's a nutrition coach and a personal trainer who has attracted more than 1 million people to his Instagram page making his account one of the most popular nutrition and fitness social media accounts in the world. Graham's mission is to educate people about the unhealthy diet culture and the myths that were taught from food advertising. His latest book, How to Lose Weight Without Losing Your Mind, offers insight into how we can develop a healthier relationship with food. Some of the things he talks about today are the biggest dieting myths most people believe, how our mindset affects our eating habits, and how we can develop a healthier, common sense approach to eating. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Graham's strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Graham Tomlinson on how to develop a healthy mindset about food. Graham Tomlinson, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thanks very much for having me. I have a copy of your latest book right here, in fact, about losing weight without losing your mind. And Obviously, you've attracted a huge following on social media. You got over a million Instagram followers simply because you've shared the truth about food and helped us figure out, gosh, there's so many myths that we're all buying into when it comes to food and healthy eating habits. What are some of the biggest myths that we've bought into? Yeah, so there there are quite a few. Um, let's let's name a couple. I think the biggest one that goes around is is obviously that carbs make us overweight or prevent us from losing weight. And a lot of the theory behind this is unfortunately quite pseudoscientific. So people will kind of say, "Oh, well, carbs don't tell, tend to fill you up, so therefore you're going to eat more and more calories. So therefore, carbs make you fat." But logically, actually. That's not true. And in all the, the, the studies that have been done on carbs, there's no evidence to suggest that they inherently do any of these things. Um, and in fact, the best study that it was actually done in 1975. So you're probably thinking, well, that's kind of old research, but it still applies. Um, it's called the rice reduction diet. I don't know if you've heard of it, but participants were in a calorie deficit. So an extreme calorie deficit. So they're only eating a few hundred calories a day. But that comprised of rice, fruit, and fruit juice, which is all pretty much 100% carbs. And the combined total weight loss was 63.9 kilos. So if carbs made you overweight, 
that simply couldn't have happened. So if, if somebody says carbs make you fat, you're like, well, what happened here then? <laughs> I, right. I love using that experiment, yeah. So I think there's a lot of those sort of catchy phrases that we see, and you talk about this in your book, when something says low sugar, we think, oh, it's healthy and we eat it. And that's the low carb idea. I think a lot of people have bought into as well, because there are these marketing geniuses that sort of sell us on these ideas that we can eat healthier. Is that really what's going on? That it's mostly how food is marketed and we buy into it without knowing the research and the science behind it? Yeah. So it, it's, I mean, unfortunately, across the world, um, obesity rates are, are rising. Um, and I guess with anything in the world, it's like an opportunity for people to capitalize on that, if, if that makes sense. So you're kind of, to help people do that, people tend to kind of make up their own kind of method to help people do that. But unfortunately, what it does in the case of, you know, like low carb diets or even things like intermittent fasting, it's all a kind of method, but it's they're, they're not really necessary. And I think the problem I have with it is that a lot of these people tend to say that all these diets are necessary, you know, like going keto or banning carbs or fasting is the way to optimize losing weight or improve your health. But none of the science, but some individual studies might show this, but the body of science just doesn't support this. And it's such an unregulated field nutrition that people can literally say anything and sell million a million copies of a book. <laughs> so and difficult. something I see as a therapist is people get these, they follow these really rigid diets, become really strict about what they're eating under the guise that they're being extra healthy, but they're developing some pretty disordered eating patterns. Yeah. And that's um, kind of what I'm discussing in this book in that that's kind of what can happen when you're too hard on yourself or you believe that you do need to follow a rigid diet or an ultra low calorie diet, or you believe that because you are perhaps not in great health or slightly overweight, you believe that you're not worthy. So you want to punish yourself and you want to kind of turn things around so quickly that you, you end up doing a kind of fad diet. And the thing is, sometimes these diets will work for people, you know, if they're able to, to go through the torture and the punishment. But then what happens after that is, unfortunately, people tend to put the weight back on or regress back to their old habits just because they haven't really built any sustainable habits to take with them long term, or they just didn't really enjoy banning loads of their favorite foods um, for prolonged periods. And they kind of went back to their old habits and they didn't really have the knowledge to to kind of build habits that are going to actually last forever, which is, um, yeah, important. Right. And so many people have an unhealthy relationship with food. Right now, do you feel like people are not paying enough attention to what they're putting in their mouths or are we almost too obsessive about it? Uh, it could be both. So mm -hmm. for, from a standpoint of somebody, yeah, it, I think you'll have a better idea of, of the kind of personality traits with people. But if you were to say to somebody who was overweight, just count calories or get a calorie deficit to count calories, that could be perfect for somebody as a tool to understand how much calories they're consuming and therefore lose body fat. For another person with a more kind of obsessive traits or an obsessive personality, it could be the worst thing ever and could start like an eating disorder. So it's entirely down to the individual um, as to what's kind of best for them, really. I, 
I always think counting calories or going low carb or whatever you kind of choose to do, it's got to be something that you actually enjoy. You know, the, the key is that you're going to keep doing it at the end of the day. And on the surface, it sounds simple. We'll just count calories and make sure that you aren't consuming too many. Why doesn't that work for most people? Uh, because it's really boring. <laughs> you know, can you imagine? And this is the kind of a lot of people who are kind of against calorie counting would suggest that for every day for the rest of your life, you have to weigh out every gram of every morsel of food that you eat. And I kind of think to myself, well, you could do that, but isn't it more like a temporary education whereby, okay, you're going to have a bowl of porridge in the morning or something. So you weigh out 50 grams of oats and then slowly but surely you kind of, you're able to eyeball, eyeball these portion sizes. So you just have that education for life. It's like a temporary education. Um, as opposed to like a prison sentence that a lot of people think it might be. Because we have these apps now that help us. So you don't even have to write it down in a in a journal. There are apps. What do you think about the apps that you just enter what you're eating and that counts it for you? Um, useful, but again, not essential. Um, you know, I actually have one, but I don't kind of I don't kind of say to people, you must use this app to to lose weight or improve your health. They can be useful tools. Um, but after a while you should be able to eyeball portion sizes kind of yourself and you shouldn't really need these apps. Um, if, if it came to it that you maybe let things slip for a little bit, it could be a great kind of starting point again to go back and think, right, actually, let's have a, have a look at this again. But I can see how they can become obsessive. Um, there are even apps that come out, I'm not going to name the companies, that kind of say that they are against this whole diet culture type thing, but actually deep down they're they're promoting it <laughs> within their app, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And you can't really talk about eating without talking about body image because that comes into play. Most people who are concerned about calorie counting tend to be more concerned about how they look rather than actual health. At least that's what I find in my therapy office. And then the impact it has on our on our mental health. Food can be so emotional for a lot of people, whether they eat because they're stressed out or they eat because they're anxious or they don't eat because they're depressed. What do you find about that in, in your experience as a, a personal trainer and a health coach? It's really difficult. Um, I, I remember as a personal trainer, I had this one client who I actually speak about in the book um, who came for on and off for two years. And her goal was to lose body fat. But she spent so much money on personal training sessions. And her, her goal was basically to fit into a dress or to have a, a, a picture of her leaner for a dating app. She spent thousands of money, thousands of pounds, sorry, um, on boot camps abroad, going to motivational talks abroad. And no, no matter what I said to her, all I was trying to do was keep it really simple. It just didn't go through. And I just wonder, was her motivation kind of too extrinsic? Was it kind of coming from out with, she thought she had to look a certain way or conform to what she saw on social media from influencers or models with airbrushed photos and so on. And then I thought to myself, but surely if she wanted it so much, she would have just done it. But I'm just not, in, I just wasn't inside her head. I didn't know what happened. And eventually we, we kind of had to part company because it was just kind of pointless at the end of the day. But I think um, there's certainly a lot of issues to do with the way that we label food 
you know, as good and bad. Um, it just doesn't seem logical. It, it kind of, in a way it does. You could say if you were to compare a cookie to um, an apple, if I was to say which one is good and bad, and you had to decide, you would obviously say that the apple is good. But in the context of an overall day of eating and an overall week of eating and a month and a year, that cookie, all of a sudden, the badness or the bad concept of it just gets less and less and less and less. And it matters what you're eating over the whole sort of period. If you have one takeaway in a week, you know, one meal out of 21 meals, it's, you know, unfortunately people beat themselves up and, and think that they're a bad person for eating a pizza when actually it turned out to be like 4.5% of their daily kind of, in, uh, sorry, their weekly intake. And that's one of the things that's gotten you so many followers on Instagram. You offer this common sense advice about that's kind of counter to what most of us have been thinking. Like you show a piece of avocado toast next to a piece of toast that has Nutella on it and teach us a little bit about, well, is the avocado toast necessarily the good one and Nutella is bad? And educate us about that. Clearly, that's really resonated with people. Yeah, that post, that the first time I ever posted that was like three years ago and I still repost it and it still drives <laughs> people mad. Um, but yeah, the concept of it, a lot of people simply don't understand that I'm just conveying information when I post on my, on my account. It's not telling people what to do. So in that case, yeah, the avocado is obviously a lot more nutritious than the Nutella. Um, but in that example, it had more calories. So perhaps if you're trying to lose weight or maintain weight, you have to still consider that. Don't just think avocado is healthy and good for everything. Um, and in that case, the Nutella obviously had fewer calories. But, you know, that doesn't mean to say you can't just enjoy Nutella whenever you like as well. I think you need to have the freedom to, to understand that you can eat any food you like in any context. But if you have a health goal in mind, it's important to kind of understand what you're eating over time. I'd love to go through a couple of things that I often hear in the therapy office or even out in, in public in general um, from friends and family members. And I'd love to know what your response would be. So if somebody is going to eat something, say maybe they're going to have enjoy an ice cream on a hot day with their family. And they say, yeah, let's be bad today because they're about to eat an ice cream. What would you say to that person? I don't. So, so if they were really happy when they said let's be bad today I wouldn't probably say anything <laughs> okay but, <laughs> because I don't know if they would really mean that they thought they were actually going to be bad but if they said it with a more of a serious tone I would probably try and address why they thought it was going to be bad and I would maybe ask why is it bad and I don't think they would be able to come up with a logical answer I think that the standard answer that would come back would be oh ice cream's bad for you or something Right, and then, and then I would come back with some something annoying like, "Is it? <laughs> what about what about that salad you had at lunch? What about the rest of your week where you ate nutrient dense foods, rich in fiber, micronutrients? This one ice cream is that going to make you bad?" And I, and then hopefully they would kind of realize. Of course, if they were eating ice cream for every meal, then I would say you might want to address that. <laughs> right. Okay, I like that. What about when somebody says, "Okay, tomorrow's my cheat day." What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I would ask what they're cheating, basically. I don't. I still don't understand why. I think it, it came from fitness professionals on social media, this term. I don't know why it's still called cheat. I don't know why they just didn't call it like, yeah, I still don't know what they're cheating. So I would probably ask, 
why is it a cheat day? You're just eating food. Some of it will be highly processed, calorie dense, but it's, it's still a meal. You know, the, it, it just gives negative connotations unnecessarily. It's still happening. You're still eating those foods. You know, you're not, you're not cheating anything. And they would probably say, shut up. <laughs> Stop being such a buzzkill. Right. But for a lot of people, I think that's what happens, right? Six days out of the week, they really restrict themselves. And then they go completely wild on that seventh day to say, woohoo, I'm going to party. Here's my cheat day. Does that work into the overall plan? I guess, do you endorse that idea? Or do you feel like when we have quote unquote cheat days that we blow all the progress that we did the last six days? It just depends. So so physiologically, it, it will just entirely depend on what comprises that cheat, cheat day, supposed cheat day. Um, you know, is it just like half a pizza or something? Or if you're having a takeaway that's like 3,000 calories, ice cream that's like another 1,000 calories, and, and you've, you, you know, that can start to blow the progress that you've made over the, the whole week. Um, so I guess it just depends what you eat. And again, comes back to being having the knowledge of what you're actually putting in your mouth. It's not necessarily an obsessive thing. It can actually be a liberating thing to kind of know, actually, I can have half a tub of ice cream there. Or actually, I can have three of those cookies. Or actually, I can have that whole pizza. And actually, I can have that 1,500 calorie takeaway knowing that, you know, I could swap from whole milk lattes to skimmed milk lattes for the next week. And that will offset the calories that I've eaten from from that pizza and I'll stay on track. It's just like these small little opportunities to try and kind of give yourself perspective to calm everything down and just try and make it as logical as possible while still enjoying everything that you're eating. So what would you call it instead of a cheat day? <laughs> give me like the longest answer. Uh, to be honest, I I don't know, nothing. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, I would strongly advise that people didn't set up for a day whereby they specifically planned to eat certain foods you know typically these these cheat days would happen over a weekend i guess because social occasions or people want to watch a movie with a pizza or whatever it is um but i would just say well whenever you want these things just have it <laughs> okay just eat it eat it and move on it's you know it's happened if you find that you're having like four pizzas a week then that's maybe something that you have to address if you're not achieving your goals but I, I, yeah, I would strongly advise not to kind of create a day where you kind of think you have to eat certain foods. Makes sense. All right. One more for you. What about when somebody's about to eat something like maybe it's pizza and then they say, oh, I'm going to have to work out extra after this. So I would say to them, you probably don't. Again, it depends on your your overall intake, if that pizza is the only thing you've eaten that day, you might still be under your kind of maintenance calories. So again, it depends on everything that you've done. Um, I think it's usually problematic when people kind of say, you know, sometimes in the UK here, they were going to put on food packaging. It will take you X minutes or hours to burn off this, whatever it is, Mars bar or whatever. And then the, the message that that sends is that people will eat it and immediately think they have to go and burn it off. So in order to eat food, you must then burn it off. And that is a notorious trait of an eating disorder. And it's hugely problematic. So what I probably say to them is, no, you could probably burn that pizza off by sleeping at night because <laughs> you're constantly burning calories. 70% of the calories that we burn each day 
It's just from resting, sleeping, sitting around, um, which that's a huge chunk. Right. And if you look at how long it takes to actually burn off calories by exercise, I mean, it takes hours to burn off a a candy bar or something that you're going to eat and work really hard. Yeah. Typically, um, if you exercise regularly, it's only about 5% of your daily energy expenditure by going to the gym or going running, typically because it's quite hard to keep up, you know, lifting weights or running. Um, You can only do it for a short period of the day before you get so tired and run out of energy. So yeah, the rest of the time, your body's still burning calories. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. So whilst you think, oh God, I've got to go and pound a treadmill for six hours to burn off pizza, actually, (laughs) in the course of the calories you're burning each day, week, month, and year, two nights of sleep will burn off that pizza. Um, But you know, the problem comes when you constantly are eating excessive calories. And so you will be creating a calorie surplus kind of all the time um, as well. And how do we deal with feelings of guilt? So many people feel guilty about eating like, oh, I didn't mean to do that or I blew it today. How do we deal with those feelings? It's a really good question. And I, I think I'd be doing a disservice to everyone if I was to say you should do this one thing because everybody's mm-hmm. different. But I think in in what I would say is try and get into bed with not as much knowledge as you can about what you're eating. So whilst you're eating that cookie thinking, this is awful, and I may as well go and eat the rest of the packet, just try and zoom out. So instead of zooming in on this one moment in time, the three minutes it took for you to enjoy that cookie and then feel bad about yourself, maybe zoom out. What else did you eat throughout the whole day? What exercise did you do? What about the week? How about the month? Are you eating five cookies every day you know, for a month, or is it just like three a week? Try and zoom out and it'll give you a better understanding and a logical way of why you probably shouldn't feel guilty when you eat. Um, I think that's in terms of kind of like a body compositional thing. I think these days there's a lot of buzzwords to do with you shouldn't eat chemicals or if you don't pronounce, if you can't pronounce the ingredients, don't eat it. And all these things don't really mean much (laughs) at the end of the day. Um, You know, everything's a chemical. Water is made of chemicals. I think there's just a lot of information that flood people's brains and cause them to kind of think that what they're doing is bad and it'll kind of make them feel guilty. Um, Yeah, we all develop these rules for ourselves, right? Like if I just don't eat these foods, I'll be okay. Or if I don't do these certain things, then somehow uh, I'll make it through life or I'm eating healthy. But when you look around, what's considered healthy for one person is considered very unhealthy for somebody else. According to them, we get kind of judgy too, right? We look at somebody else, we go to a restaurant and eating with somebody else and they say, that's not, you know, that's not healthy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. And I guess if somebody asks you that, you, you could just reply with, why? You know, why is that not healthy? What does healthy mean? And then you'll say, do you know what I ate for lunch? Do you know what I ate yesterday? Do you know what I've eaten for the last year? And when they say no, you'll be, you'll be able to say, well, how do you get to judge what's healthy for me when you don't know anything about what I'm eating overall? I guess is, is a good reply, but you might not be friends with them after that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like somebody that is completely against carbs, if you sit down to a big bowl of spaghetti, they're often quick to tell you why you shouldn't be eating a giant bowl of spaghetti, right? I think it comes down to people, like with what you've said, there's really interesting. People like to enlighten people with new information or be right about things. So they've probably heard in the media and 
God, it's been everywhere that carbs do X, Y, and Z. And so when they see someone eating a bowl of spaghetti, it's more a case of them wanting to kind of assert authority that they know something to say, oh, carbs do X, Y, and Z. But actually, the likelihood is that that person's probably only ever seen the headline and not actually kind of become knowledgeable on the subject. There was a great, um, actually it wasn't, it was a very terrible post on TikTok from a health coach. (laughs) It was about, oh yeah. So he was going into a, a shop and naming all these toxic ingredients and he couldn't pronounce them. So therefore, none of us should eat them. And what he was actually naming was chemical names for proteins and carbs and fats yeah so essential things for for infants to consume basically and th- this video got you know it's like over a million views people agreeing with it and all this kind of stuff and all of a sudden people are now saying that you shouldn't have baby formula and all this kind of stuff based on this which is crazy Interesting. But so easy to buy into that when you see it. It's popular. You think, oh, it must be true. And on the surface, it almost makes sense. A lot of these buzzwords and marketing schemes people have where they're quick slogans and sayings that sound catchy and they sound good on the surface. So how do we educate ourselves about the truth? So now, other than following you on Instagram and reading your book, (laughs) what other ideas are there about how we figure out what's the truth about food and what constitutes a, a healthy lifestyle for ourselves? It's so difficult because we're uh, collectively, we're not doing very well, are we? Things are getting worse. Right. And there's just, it's just a massive disconnect. And I think the introduction of social media over the last 15 years has made things a lot harder. For instances, I've just described personalities who are, are hugely engaging, can resonate and connect with people emotionally with the wrong information. So therefore, hundreds of thousands and millions of people will now believe this information to be true when it isn't. And unfortunately, you'll know this as well, a lot of science is very, very boring and hard to access and hard to interpret. You know, people will will comment on my posts, why don't you share the science more and stuff? And I'm like, well, I do, I do try. But what I'm trying to do is summarize it so that everybody can understand it. Because a lot of the scientific papers that I look at are very difficult for me to understand. <laughs> Sometimes I just skip to the conclusion and have a look at what actually happened. And if you want to find the truth about something, there will be conflicting studies, one saying one thing, one saying the complete opposite. So it is so difficult. Um, I think if possible, and you do choose to go and look at some of the science and research, make sure that you have a look at quality papers like meta-analysis or systematic reviews as opposed to just single studies on certain topics but it's a question I can't answer I don't know how kind of everybody I guess like you know here in the UK the government could do a much better job of educating us on basic calorie balance for example instead what they're doing is promoting slimming clubs who don't educate people about this, the, the one thing that you definitely need to lose weight. So oh, what's a slimming it, club? We don't have those, so I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's basically a club <laughs> where you, you join as a member and pay each week to go and get weighed. Okay, which, we have which, those. We just don't call them slimming clubs. Oh, Got okay. you. Yeah, um, and the problem with that is that the measuring system is flawed. There is very little education. Um Instead of educating people about how many calories they're eating or protein or fiber and things like that, they make up their own terms like points or it's kind of like, um, yeah, sins and things like that. 
And so, yeah, you've got people who, who will be relying on that, turning up every week, paying money, stepping on the scales. And then if they've gained weight, it's a disaster. If they've lost weight, it's euphoria. But as, as we know, your weight is measuring more than just body fat, you know, and it can fluctuate from day to day. You know, depending on what foods you've eaten, whether you've eaten carbs, you'll be storing more glycogen. Um, whether you've eaten salty foods, you'll retain more water. So if you turn up the net or your menstrual cycle as well, um, and you can turn up and have gained weight, but actually lost body fat. And the consultant, um, consultant in inverted commas, <laughs> will kind of say, unlucky, do X, Y, and Z. And it's just like a, a cycle of hell, really. And I find a lot of people who have actually reached out to me have been going to these slimming clubs for years and just kind of yo-yo dieted and they finally kind of understood what they should be doing. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard horror stories, as have I. People, before they go to get weighed in, they don't drink for 18 hours and they don't consume any liquid so they can win that week. And then, then the next week they have to figure out how do I still come in? And it just becomes all about almost cheating the scale rather than creating a, a healthy lifestyle. So what can we do when we're walking around the grocery store, when we're buying food, when we're making more better choices for ourselves? How do we decide what, what, how to create this healthy lifestyle for ourselves? Yeah, I think keep it as simple as possible. So if, if, you're, if you're somebody who doesn't know what to buy when they're going shopping, I would say, let's just strip it back and think for each meal, let's try and include a high quality protein source, whether it's plant-based or animal-based, depending on your preference. And make sure that you have that all the time. Make sure that there's at least three vegetables on the plate. Make sure that there's some fiber on the plate. <clears throat> And make sure there's there's some form of carbohydrate, whether it's like pasta, potatoes, whatever you like. And above all, make sure you are actually going to enjoy these meals so that you're going to eat them. Um, so, yeah, in terms of that, if you go around the shops, buy ingredients for, say, the week ahead, it means that you've planned ahead. It means that you're not going to get home from work and you're not going to think, oh, I've had a really bad day. Um, I'll just order a takeaway. And so it's these kind of simple little tweaks. If you were trying to lose weight, for example, you could have a look at different cuts of meat and select a leaner meat, which is lower in calories. You could select a lower fat cheese, but eat it in the same quantity and still reduce calories. The same with yogurt. Um, <clears throat> and these kind of small things chip away over time and they don't, re they don't really cause much upheaval, but they will be helping you progress with your goal. So you're not actually making too many changes. It's really small. But the impact over time is going to be is going to be quite big. The key is buying into it and accepting that it's going to take a bit of time. Um, as a rule of thumb for improving health, I guess it's a basic advice of eat more fruit and vegetables, <laughs> eat more plants. And you can make vegetables taste great in a variety of meals by adding things like spices and herbs. If you don't already like the taste of the, the vegetables cook them in lots of different ways, maybe even buy a few cookbooks. You know, myself, I'm really guilty of cooking the same things over and over. And then I would get really bored and think, well, I'm just not going to, I might just order a takeaway, for example. So try and keep it really exciting. Um, yeah. And a lot of the questions I get from people are about snacking. So it's like, should I snack? Should I not snack? And it's again, <clears throat> it's entirely, it's entirely up to you. One day you might fancy a chocolate bar, eat the chocolate bar, move on. You know, you enjoyed it, 
<clears throat> move on, have some more nutrients when you're when you're having dinner, for example. Um, and on some days you might think, right, I'm going to include more protein with my snacks today because I didn't have much protein at lunch. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lots of different ways um, that you can approach it, but trying to trying to keep things as simple as possible um, is probably the best bet. I like that. So if we're going to have rules for ourselves, just make them common sense rules. When you yeah. look at a lot of the fad <laughs> diets people are buying into, you think, well, if we backed up for a minute and we thought, wait, does this really make sense? We'd probably be pretty quick to be like, oh, this is absurd. But because we're seeing so many people talk about the success they're having with it, sometimes we jump on the bandwagon and think, okay, I'm going to try this too. So I like that common sense approach. Uh, any last one tip, I guess, for somebody who says, you know, gosh, I've struggled my whole life with this. I've been up and I've been down and um, I don't even know where to begin. Where would you say people should start? Good question. Inside their head. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I think um, asking themselves a few questions. So what is it that you want to change? Why is it that you want to change? And how are you going to make that change? Um, if you don't make it f past the first question and you don't, so it turns out you don't want to change anything, then that's it. You don't really need to change anything with regard to that. But then once you get to the, the what, why is it that you want to change? And if it's for yourself, if it's because it will improve your health, your quality of life, or even your self-esteem, then you can proceed to the next stage of how to do it. If you don't proceed past the, 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 the second stage, again, stop. And so then if you get to the how, I guess that's the all important question, which is, is, going to be different for everybody, depending on what the goal is. Um, I, I would just say, have those three simple questions. And if you don't make it past any stage, just stop. Makes sense. Graham Tomlinson, thank you so much for sharing your advice with us. I hope everybody goes out and buys a copy of Lose Weight Without Losing Your Mind. And we'll link to your Instagram account, The Fitness Chef, so that people can find you on Instagram and see what we're talking about when we discuss these helpful infographics that you're sharing that help us make more sense of what's going on with the food that we eat. Thanks very much for having me. Pleasure. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Graham's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Graham's strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, look at what you consume in a week, not a day. I like that Graham talked about the importance of looking at the overall picture of what you're consuming not just one meal. If you eat some cake and ice cream today, don't convince yourself that you might as well keep eating sweets because you've blown your diet. Instead, go for a balance over the course of the entire week. I also like that Graham isn't a fan of cheat days. When we convince ourselves we have to be on target for six days in a row, and then we allow ourselves to cheat for one day, it affects our mindset. We feel like we're being deprived for six days, and then we think we're being rebellious one day. Instead, trust that you can incorporate the foods that you like into your life on a regular basis as long as you're keeping your eyes on the overall picture, not just what you consume in one meal. Number two, keep your overall goals with food in mind. Graham talks about the importance of having goals in mind and having a goal to fit into a certain size might not be good for your mental health, but eating to feel good and power your brain might be helpful goals. Keeping those things in mind can help you feel better about the food that you eat. And you might worry less about how many carbs you're consuming, and you might reduce the guilt you feel for enjoying some cookies at lunch. I also like that he talked about buying cookbooks and preparing meals at home. 
there's something really satisfying about knowing what's in the food that you're eating and that you made it yourself. Number three, don't be too hard on yourself. I'm glad that Graham mentioned the importance of not being too hard on yourself. As a therapist, I hear so many people say things like, I'm so stupid, I messed up again. Being too hard on yourself backfires though. If you shame yourself into thinking you're a hopeless cause or you're telling yourself that you can't do this, you'll repeat your mistakes. If, however, you talk to yourself with a little self-compassion, you can forgive yourself and then you can move on and you'll do better next time. So if you're upset that you aren't seeing the results as fast as you want, or you're down on yourself for not getting as much exercise as you want, pause and ask yourself, what would I say to my friend right now? Then give yourself those same kind words. The way you speak to yourself matters. That's especially true when it comes to daily habits revolving around food and exercise. If you want to change the way you eat, start by changing your mindset. To hear more of Graham's tips, check out his book, Lose Weight Without Losing Your Mind. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.